<laughs> well, there was a guy at the gym. What was his name? Um, the older he wrote poetry. He wrote you a poem. Uh, Mr. Ronaldo. Mr. Ronaldo. Yes. He, I, I, I only met him like a handful of times, but I'd be like, hey, Mr. Ronaldo, how you doing? Like, what's going on? And he's like, man, just, I don't know, man. I'm just waiting for the day. I don't. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't get it. He's like, I don't get it. I keep waking up. But he's like, uh, but that's what she would, she told me. Like he, I mean, he went there like three times a week, writing poetry every day. Like always very active in his, in his, in his, uh, in his mind. So I think that's why he just kept rolling. But how old? Uh, 97. 97. I don't get it. I just keep waking up. He's like, I don't get it. I just keep waking up. But he said it's a very miserable world when you've outlived everybody except your children. And he was like, and even my children are like, what is going on? Why are you still alive? But he was like, it's not fun when there's nobody your age left on the earth. It sounds like we took a look. I took a look over to see Grandma Jean yesterday. And bless his heart, he's 16 and he's trying to make conversation with his great grandmother. And he does really well. So he's telling her what he's been doing while he's been visiting and everything. And then, he, and then she started telling him about her siblings. And so he asked, you know, about some specific... She was the youngest of nine. Yeah. Oh, but he, so he starts asking, and she says, they're all dead. Luke <laughs> 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 said, afterwards he said to me, Grandma, I didn't know what to, how to respond, but he said, well, Grandma... At least you're still here. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You're not quite ready for that response. Right. You're all oh. dead. She was the youngest of nine. But poor Luke. Yeah. He didn't know what to do. Yeah, 16-year-old male. Yeah. But he really, he, he's a great conversationalist. He, he really tries hard to know what to say. Sounds like he did real good. He did. Yeah. yeah. That was real smart. That was very... Uh, sociable to ask her about her siblings and yeah. stuff when i went to bible college you know the bible college was as far as bible colleges go is about as much grace as you're probably going to find anywhere in an organized bible college but one of the classes that they made us take was called christian ethics right and now that i look back on it i realize it's just you know garbage it's not living by the spirit right but um what they do is they see what could come forth in a person that's filled with the Spirit, and then they tell you to work that. Yeah. that that's sure. that's kind of how it goes, yeah. right? But the thing they taught us was within personal conversations with people, because um, you have to teach pastors how to talk to people, because they're antisocial. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> that you always ask the person about themselves and the things they're interested in yeah, and their lives. Right, it, right. That's exactly what they were teaching us. A technique. Yes. Right? It's like actually a blessing. Yes. What I hear you saying is like a technique. No, that's exactly what it was. But what was interesting, though, because I, I like to use worldly language. I like watching people. I like people. Like even before I went off into Bible college, I took uh, humanities classes as electives and social behavior and all that kind of stuff. So I enjoy watching people and observing how they react and how they act. And even after, like I never implemented those techniques, but after when I was filled with the Spirit, I noticed in conversations that I do that, Yeah. right? And it, it's just born from an interest in the person, yeah. right? And they'd be better off just teaching that God is interested in people, right? Yeah. That people are an expression of God and there's right. beauty in them, yeah. right? right? Well, more and, basically, God's interested in you. Yeah. God's interested in you. And then when you're melded with them, you're interested in other people. You're interested in other people. You're yeah. inter- what they're interested in gives you a buzz. It yeah. excites you, yeah. right? And then out of a natural excitement, you just interact with them. 
based on their life and what's mm-hmm. going on in their life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Yeah. What do y'all want to talk about today? You. <laughs> I think I've talked about myself ad nauseum. No. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. You're a pretty interesting guy. <clears throat> I've got to tell you what I learned yesterday by accident. So uh, we saw this. Oh, I did. It was strictly an accident. I was like, oh my goodness, what? So we watched this thing online, this Bible teacher, and it was sort of improvisational jazz. He just kept on talking. and it, It's like, I remember the old days in church where you would be pumped up by the worship, right? And then you'd go to the sermon, but when you left the doors, you had no idea what the sermon was about, but you had this good vibe from the worship, right? And so I never feel that you uh, wander it always seems that uh, when you're talking, it's infused with the spirit. It's not just improvisational, moving all around. And I never, I may not understand some things, which is on me, as far as, but I feel as if there was something that, of substance that occurred. And, and that's why I say, when we talk just privately at the end of the Monday morning men's group, it's like everyone's different and we need to, re- we can rejoice and accept those beauties. As far as, but boy, I love there not being a kickoff time of worship this morning where I can sense, boy, the juice that has happened has been the spirit of the word. But there is, Glenn, every, you you don't realize it, but I come in at 8 o'clock and turn on the juice. Oh, I understand. (laughs) And I'm out there by myself. I, I get it. This is the sound. This is the sound. This is the sound of Jubilee. This is the yeah. I mean, I, the the thing about it is, is um, I don't want to say it this way, but I will. And there might be a better vernacular to use. I need ministry, right? I need to be ministered to. Every, everyone needs to be ministered to. And when I say that, I mean I need God, and not just like God's with me. Yes, God's with me. Yes, He's in me. Yes, He's upholding my life, even should I make my bed in hell. But I need like active ministry from God. And something that's happened through my own inability of structuring myself, I'm not an administrator, right? Like, I'm just a a doer. Something I found and start over the last 10 years with the church is that I'm so, what's the word I want to use? I'm so active with ministry that I don't ever, I struggle to make time to go get quiet with God. Right, I struggle now to go be alone with God. Whereas before in Colorado, I had like, I mean, so much time with God, especially the last two years of the finance company, because the guy called us in and he said, "Listen, we're shutting down the company." Well, what that meant was we were no longer going to do any more financing, but we had been financing for the previous twenty years, so we still had all type of loans with which we were servicing. Right, so that meant we sat. I sat there literally doing nothing for like two years. Just eight hours a day sitting in that office with just God and all my resource materials and just in there praying and talking with God. Well, you come and it's a struggle to tell people no. And I don't mean to tell people no because it's not like making a business appointment, right? People need ministry. They need to encounter the Lord Jesus. And so it's very difficult not to want to go sit with somebody and minister the Lord Jesus to them if they need to encounter the Lord Jesus. So next thing you know, you don't have any quiet time with God, and I'm bad at carving out time. And so the worship is like a personal ministry to me, right? It's like um, my time with the Lord where I can get caught up and 
lose sight of everything going on around me except for for me and God. Right? right? That's that's what it it does for me. But speaking of the is it Mr. Ronaldo? Yes. Yeah. This world and I don't even want to say this world exalts death because it's kind of backwards. Because this world was built on the foundation of death, death is exalted in the eyes of this world. Mm -hmm. Right? It's lifted up in its sight. Mm -hmm. Right? And so if people aren't considering Jesus, looking at Jesus, and it's not like a one-time act, it's not a, I keep saying this, it's not a one-time academic deal. Right? Listen, academically, theologically, I'm speaking as a fool now. I probably figured out most things about the scriptures in God. You could go back and listen to what I preach. You're not going to find a lot of stuff that I'm preaching that does not contain what I have always preached. It might be I come and explain some verses I hadn't explained yet. And it's like, oh, wow. But I figured all that out. You know what? That academic intellectual understanding cannot sustain me. It cannot sustain me. And it's not because there's something wrong with me. It's because human beings were designed to, what Matt brought out, consider or look. Consider does not mean, well, I thought about that, now I'm done. (laughs) That's not what the word consider in the Greek means. Looking unto Jesus, the beginning and the end of faith, does not mean I see something in Jesus, I'm good, I got that. Now I'm on with my life. And that's not what it means. The looking unto Jesus, do you know what that means in the Greek? It means to turn your eyes away from every other thing and give your undivided attention continuously to Jesus. Now, it's not a work God's given you to do in the sense of you do this so he'll be happy with you. He's talking about the design of human beings. And he's talking about the way we respond to stimuli. Right, And he's talking about what stimulates us. And our imaginations are designed in such a way that they're going to be captivated by something. They're going to twist on something. They're going to marinate on things. It's like a cow. It's got, what, seven stomachs? So first it chews it here, then it takes it in, and then it chews it again. It goes from all these different stomachs. It's chewing on it, twisting on it. Right? And so the consider Jesus, the looking unto Jesus, what that means is fixing your eye on it. For a continuous action, it's describing something that we need in our lives. It's describing something that will keep our hearts in the midst of this world. Because there's death in this world, there's lack in this world, there's sorrow in this world. And those things could very easily get lifted up in the place where we're considering all that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where every day, what we're considering is that all of our colleagues are dead. Everybody we knew was dead. Well, what do you think is going to happen if you're sitting around considering that? Drags you down. What do you think you... I mean, if you're looking unto... Yeah, right. Death. Yeah. If you're looking unto lack. If you're looking unto <clears throat> affliction. If, if your mind is twisting on all those things all of the time, what do you think is going to happen to you? And here's the thing. Here's the problem. You can't not twist on something. You're going to twist on something. Absolutely. It's part of your design. It's impossible not to twist on something. I mean, walk around and try not to have a thought. Even as you're trying not to have a thought, you'll forget yeah, your thinking. Thought. And next thing you know, you'll be off on some serious thought. Yeah. You'll be off on some trail, daydreaming about something. Right. You can't not have a thought. 
And so the Lord knows us about our design. And that's why he manifested himself in the Lord Jesus. Because he come to captivate our imagination with something other than this world, the things in this world, and the death and the sorrow and the afflictions and the lack that's in this world. Because he knows those things are front and center. And we see it, and we see it, and we see it, and we see it, and we see it. And he understands that we can find our eyes fixed on that. And so what he comes and does is he comes and demonstrates a life that's greater than the death in the world. A life that overcomes the death. So instead of thinking of the death, we're thinking of the life that's greater than the death. We're thinking of the resurrection. That says, look unto Jesus. In Jesus was this life. In Jesus is this life that's greater than death. In Jesus is this faith that has the comfort and the peace and the love and the joy that you need. So you consider Jesus. And consider, does it, like I said, it doesn't mean, well, you believe Jesus is real. You believe he's the son of God. You believe he died for your sin. You've considered and that's it. No, it's talking about a looking unto, right? A twisting on. That's why we, that's one of the reasons why we gather. That's one of the reasons why we keep preaching the gospel. That's one of the reasons why we have all the Bible studies. Is so that we come together and consider. And we come together and look unto Jesus. There's no way to abide without considering. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about when you were talking about, you know, worship. You know, how do you define what worship is? Is worship what you do? We call compartmentalize everything. So we think what worship is, you go to church, and for 20 minutes or half an hour, whatever it is, before the preacher comes on, you worship. So that is what worship is. Is that what worship is? Well, it's part of it. It's part of it, yeah. It is a very minimal part of what worship is. Mm -hmm. You can certainly sing songs and worship God. But I'm going to tell you, we weren't meant to worship God for 30 minutes a week. We should be considering God every minute of every day, living and moving and having our being in Mm. Him, and our lives be worship of God. That is what real worship of God is. Not that you can't sing songs to the Lord for 30 minutes before church. It's okay. And, and it's a good thing to do that. It's a fine thing to do that. But that's not really what worship is. Worship, those who worship me will worship me in, in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. Not in 30 minutes. <laughs> well, no, it has nothing to do with that. You could sing songs and not be worshiping at all. That's sure. Right. But Absolutely. If, if you're singing unto the Lord, with the Lord, according to the spirit of truth. It's not that you're not That worshiping. is also worship. Sure it is. But that's not, worship is not boxed up in that one, no, in that one thing. Sure. Exactly. Right? Sure. It's boxed up. Worship is, like you just said, it's found in your imagination being caught up in the spirit of truth. Right? right? Being caught up in the spirit that was Absolutely. revealed in the Lord Jesus. Yes. And it's a continuous thing. And I promise you, if you want to, if you ever find yourself in sorrow, if you ever find yourself not feeling good, if you ever find yourself feeling like you're overcome, I guarantee you, it's because you are considering darkness. Yeah. Right. I guarantee you, it's because you are twisting and looking at what you think is not consistent with life. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. There's there's no shame for us if we find ourselves in that place, right? It, it can happen to us. But we, we want to recognize what's going on in that dynamic. It's not that there's something wrong with us. It's not that we're being overcome. It's not some heavy thing. When, how can we be delivered? When will we be delivered? It's not anything like that. It's that you need to consider Jesus. Oh, guess what? Even if you're having a good day, you still need to consider Jesus. 
It, it doesn't say he's your bread when you're having a bad go of it. He's the daily bread. The manna was every day. Yeah. Right? And so every day you would feed on Jesus whether you felt good or bad. <laughs> right? But I guarantee you that's when we're not having a good go of it, it's because uh, something in this world that is contrary to all to life and all that is good has gotten lifted up in our sight. And we keep looking at that. We become like the angel in the book of Revelation that's covered in eyes, right? And that is beholding the Lord. And holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We become like the angel that's covered in eyes. And no matter which way we turn, we're beholding something in the world that we know that is contrary to life and all that is good. And we keep twisting on that. We see it from this angle, and then we look at it from that angle. And then we come over here and look at it from this angle, and we, we get it from that. I mean, we're really examining that if thing. If you cover with the eyes, you don't have to rotate. Well, I know. Yeah. But... <laughs> what the eyes are doing. Just saying. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. That's cool. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. To go along the lines of kind of what we talked about in the beginning. <clears throat> about living and dying and stuff like that. A uh, buddy, uh, buddy of mine and I were at work, and he said, you know, the saying is, you only live once, you know, the whole. And he uh, he said, man, this other guy kind of reversed it, where it's like, if you li- you kind of live that way, you're looking at it differently, whereas you only die once, you live every day. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, you, if you're living every day with, you know, the eyes on Jesus and stuff, then you, if you think about it, you're really never going to die. Right. You know, you're always... That's it. So, I mean, like, sometimes, like the other day, on Friday, we were playing volleyball, and I, well, we rest, we were resting after a game, and I kind of just found myself staring into the abyss of, of, uh, of the bay, and I was like, man, it's a beautiful day. You know, and it just takes that one little second to just, that's living right there. You're, you're enjoying the creations of what God created. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. why I sometimes, like... Uh, this training that I go that I go through and I'll be gone for like a month. I have no no ties to anything. Like I literally they take my phone, <clears throat> I go away and I am just at the mercy of going out in the wilderness. And it is like I you know, I hate being away from my um, Heather, my wife, but I I love that. Like I am just lost out there, no like there's no Nobody's reaching in to say, hey, look at me. Look at what's going on over here. You're not paying attention to what's going on in the world. You're just focused on what's in front of you. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, crap. I'm, like, traveling in the woods. It's night. I can't even see the moon, the stars. It's, like, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a difference between, like Paul would say, that he desires to be with the Lord. There's a difference between thinking that, it's also, you know, that it's it's better to be with the Lord than to be in this world and to be depressed about being in this world. Right. He wasn't depressed about being here. He wasn't like, when can I get out of here? You know, there's a difference between those two thoughts. And if you think about John, right? Imagine John, who lived to, by most estimations, when they calculate it, to like 99 years old. He's the only apostle that wasn't martyred and wasn't put to death at a young age. Imagine how John felt. You don't see John writing in any of his letters that none of the other guys are around. And he wrote all his letters after they were gone. And you don't see him recording any of that. You don't see him twisting on that. The closest you'll get is in the book of Revelation where he's describing um, the saints and the, the world crying out for death to be removed. Right? How long, Lord? That's the closest you'll get to 
him recording all that. Imagine how he must have felt, right? I mean, there's 12 of them. They're out there laboring with the Lord, preaching the gospel, right? And all 11 of them get put to death, you know, not too long after, you know? And now here he is by himself. That's what the world would come and say. And, and part of our problem in society, it's not that there's something wrong with the people that are, are thinking like this. We, even in, in Christianity, we've been structured to identify with things in the world. Yes. And so, naturally speaking, as the things in the world we identified with start to fall away, then of course we're going to be in the place where death and lack and corruption is lifted up in our sight because that's what we identified with to begin with. I mean, you don't even realize it, but you're watching TV is like a two, three, four-year-old kid and the TV shows you're watching already telling you about the things you need to enjoy life. And you're already adopting it. You're all, yes, yes. And you don't realize how that affects you. Everything in the world is structured that way. All advertisement is structured that way. And so we live in this world beholding our life in all these different things. And relationships aren't evil. It's not evil to enjoy your relationship. But if you behold your life in your relationships, what was you? Right? Where are you going to be if something goes wrong with that relationship? Where are you going to be if there's some affliction in that relationship? You're going to be lost. Right? And so the world doesn't just say, man, it's, it's, it's great to enjoy relationships. And relationships are a beautiful thing. And they're, they, they, they really benefit your life. And it's awesome to share life with people. No, they come and teach you that you're made complete in these things. Yeah. Right? And then you, you, you get to the place where if all your contemporaries pass, you're busy thinking, why am I even here? Right? right? Listen, if I, if I grow to be really old, I got this feeling, man, that I'm not going to leave the world till I get all this stuff that's in me out in books. And I have not even got started yet. And so I got this feeling I'm going to be here a long time. And uh, <laughs> listen, I grapple with this thought because I, there's part of me that feels joyous at being able to interact with the body of Christ, right? And young people. Right, even if I'm like 90-something years old, there's part of me that's excited about watching, you know, people come up preaching and watching people worship the Lord and being able to be with them and talk with them about the gospel. But I got to be honest, there's part of me that like, it, I'm already done living in a world that's controlled by people filled with the fear of death. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it already aggravates me. Like, that's when I talk about Lord Jesus come quickly. It's not because I feel like, oh, everything's so sorrowful. Right? No, I have abundant life, but I got to be honest. I'm tired of walking around in a world. I grow weary sometimes of walking around in a world that's controlled and run by people that are filled with the fear of death and are lifted up in their own hearts with the strength of man, right? I, I grow weary of dwelling in that land, right? I grow weary of dwelling in a land where Babylon is, right? I grow weary of that. <clears throat> I mean, I think that's what a lot of people that are having kids, like we're, we're, we're having a kid, but it's like, some people are like, man, are you sure? Like, you see this world? Like, you want to bring a kid into this world right now? Hey, I was there too, so. Yeah, but I it's like, it. that's, but I, I like my buddy at work, he said, he's like, man, you're having a kid, like, you sure? Like, I mean, I mean I'm not, I mean, it's going to happen. It's not like I can take it back now. I'm not taking it back. So I was like, oh, yeah, actually, you know what? You made a good comment. Let me let me go reverse it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. but Y'all having a kid? Y'all having a kid? Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> That's great. But, it's, uh, but what I tell people is just like, 
dude, I, I know where I know where I belong. I know where I'm going. This is just a little, the world here is just a little travel place to where I'm going, and like it'll be fun because we have Jesus. You, yeah. He's, and you, it's a great symptom of the world, and, and to Heather's point, there's a difference between having a thought and processing it with the Lord and then grabbing a hold of that thought and planting it in your heart, yes. yeah. right? If you're going to make decisions about whether you have children based on the death that's in the world, oh, death wow. is your God. Oh, yeah. That's if you're going to have kids based on the corruption that's in mm-hmm. the world, corruption is your God, right? Now, that's a natural thought that can come to you, but you want to take that thought and now process it with eternal life because eternal life will now consume that death that is trying to be your God and your steps will be ordered or you'll be led by eternal life, right? Which eternal life is the only thing that will set your heart free to live from freedom. And what I want to say is it's the only thing that can actually allow the human being to live from the heart, right? Where they're actually living out what's really in their heart instead of uh, living out of a heart that's been corrupted with death and, and corruption and lack and all that kind of stuff, right? That's, that's exactly where I was. I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I mean, he wanted to have a child, and I said, I'm not bringing a kid in this world. This world is too crazy. Yeah. Like, I would never want to see them suffer. And then, of course, it happened, and I was like, those thoughts have completely gone. Like, I don't even think about them. And so it's just crazy that I just woke up one day, and I was like, no, all the fear is just washed away. Yeah. I don't even think about it. Awesome. Praise God. Right, and, and you can connect with God. Think about God. Imagine if God said, well, I'm outside of time, so I actually possess the ability to see the, the ending from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Mm-hmm. I actually possess the ability to see the whole thing. Imagine if God had said, well, there's going to be a lot of suffering, so we're not going to make any human beings. Right. Mm-hmm. That would suck. My man Adam, I mean, I, I, I like Adam. I mean, Adam looks good. I, I mean, I'm dreaming of what Adam could look like. I'm dreaming of walking around with Adam. But my man Adam is going to, like, you know, flip the world upside down in a really negative way. <laughs> and a whole lot of people are going to experience suffering. And now imagine if the suffering became lifted up in God's heart. And everything he did... Everything he thought and how his steps were ordered was based on the suffering, right? Imagine he had done that. See, but he didn't live like that. He saw that the, whatever suffering that Adam could bring into the earth, it pales in comparison to the glory of his, his eternal life, right? And it's not even to be put into the same category of the joy of a person, a human being, being able to inherit eternal life. Right, And so God saw that the suffering, I mean, we can all dream up the worst kind of suffering we could think of. And God cries over that. He grieves over that because it's contrary to life. It's contrary to people. It's the enemy of people. But when he thinks of human beings and what they gain from inheriting eternal life, man, that suffering shrinks up real quick. Right? And he, he, he would not, he could not, he could not deny human beings the privilege of inheriting eternal life. Like right, a mother giving birth to a baby. That's what I, that's what I'm describing. Yeah, yes. you know, mother endures all that pain and the delivery, but she forgets it when she sees the baby's face. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's I've read that book, Lineage of Grace. I don't know if anybody's read that, but it's just um, it's fictional, but it's about the women of the Bible, 
and it tells you like if it weren't for this person then this person wouldn't have existed and then it's the whole lineage and then it's like and then there's Jesus and it's like you know that's what I thought about it was like I can sit there and keep this child from the world of ever existing or it could be the child that leads to something you know Mm -hmm. and it just be God's plan well that's what I tell people too I mean it's I mean it's very small and minute but I always say like when people like oh my kid this I'm like I'm like dude your kid or when people say, I don't want to bring this kid in the world, I always say, like, dude, your kid could be the change that the world freaking needs. Yes. Like, yeah, it just true. takes one kid, one, you know, that kid that you think is going through heartache, all you got to do is just love that kid for 10 minutes, and that literally changes the entire trajectory of that kid's life. Yeah. You know, so it's like one person really can make a change for a whole room. And there's no doubt that your kid is going to be awesome yeah yes. and we, we don't want to just think of children for in a temporary yeah, in a temporary state right? right listen i understand the sentiment and so i'm not disagreeing with your oh, sentiment yeah. but none of us, all of us are too. going to change this world right yes. jesus is the only one that's going to change this right. world yes right and any change that could come in anybody's life is going to come on account of the christ having been ministered to them yes mm-hmm. and so we can think like God thinks about having us, right? How can, if I, if I otherwise would want to have kids outside of what's going on around me, if that's like what's in my heart and I can have them, how can I deprive mm-hmm. someone of the ability to have eternal life? Mm-hmm. How can I now get in the way? How can I now stop this being from being able to in- inherit eternal life? Right? I'm going to have kids because it's in my heart to have kids. And I want to give them the opportunity to inherit all of God himself. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're right. Out of your child inheriting all of God himself, God can come pouring out of your child and minister God to people and change individual people's lives. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is what I gathered you to yes. mean. But yes. just for the, the, the recording, I wanted to fill that out. Yes. Right? Like the God in us can change into individual right. people's lives. Mm-hmm. Right? And just they can so, inherit eternal just life. Just to know peace, though. That's right. That's really, yeah. Just to know peace. And I thank God that he, he, even though he looked at the suffering and said, I'm not going to, because of the suffering that Adam's going to bring into the earth, I am not going to deprive billions of people of the the chance to inherit what I have in myself and what I'm experiencing every day. Mm -hmm. Right? It's too great. The value is too high. And I thank God that he thought like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Just assume the suffering, just like on the cross. That's what eternal life will do. Yeah. And what we want to understand about Jesus on the cross, Jesus is God. I mean, we understand that, right? Yes. Jesus is God. If there's anybody that the gospel would be an academic exercise for, and that they didn't need to hear, or consider, or think about, the gospel, repetitively, it'd be Jesus, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what the scriptures teach about Jesus on the cross? That he considered. He looked unto. And he spent every day of his life in this mortal body. Every day of his life doing that. Considering. But he's God. And so you think that he'd have it all figured out and the book should be closed and he should never have to consider. But even Jesus dwelling in mortal flesh saw that he needed to consider. That he needed to look unto. Right? That was part of his daily life. And Because he, he recognized the design. And so on the cross, Jesus considered. 
He fixed his eye on something. He looked unto something, it says. Look unto means to turn your eye away from every other thing and the affliction that has beset you and fix your eye, your undivided attention, on something else. Jesus did that on the cross. That's what caused him to endure the contradiction of sinners against himself or the contradiction of death. He considered. What did he consider? What was he looking unto? What was he twisting on? What is it that kept him from the darkness? Right? We, we've had so many like perverted teachings about Jesus as our example. Or what would Jesus do? It's not what would Jesus do. It's what did Jesus believe? Why did he believe it? What did Jesus consider? What did Jesus look unto? That's what we should be talking about. Right? Because those kinds of things, you can't really work those kinds of things. You can't work a belief. You can only hear it or behold it. Right? You can't work a consideration. You can only consider a consideration. You can't work looking unto something. You could just look unto something. And so it's what did Jesus look unto? And that's why the author of Hebrews will come and say, consider Jesus. Consider what he looked unto. Right? And guess what? What he looked unto was manifested in him. You can see it clearly in him, in the resurrection. The resurrection is the manifestation of what Jesus looked unto. It's the manifestation of what Jesus considered when he walked through this earth in the valley of the shadow of death and when he was nailed to the cross and all sin and death came upon him. What he considered, what he fixed his eye upon, when it talks about his heart disesteeming the shame of the cross, disesteeming the contradiction of death that had come upon him, when it talks about his heart disesteeming it, what it means is that he looked unto something. And that thing he looked unto, it cast down the death of the cross in his heart. It disrespected it. It whacked out its legs. It removed its sting. It took away the power of darkness in his heart. It took away the power of fear against him. And so it's like, what did Jesus look unto? Well, it says, for the joy that was set before him. Right? And this is why I hammer this all the time. And I understand the sentiment about describing Jesus as God. And you could teach the joy set before God in a different kind of a way. But those verses in Hebrews are specifically talking about how are we going to endure in the midst of being beset with afflictions. How are we going to find grace in our time of need? How are we going to find help? Where is the place where we are going to be comforted when we are in the midst of affliction? Looking unto Jesus, the Son of Man, who also was beset by affliction, who also suffered such great contradiction against himself in the death of the cross. He is eternal life, and then all of a sudden he became the manifestation of the fullness of death. Imagine the contradiction. That's the same contradiction we encounter. We were made for life and only life. Our hearts know it. And then we encounter things that are against all that is good. And then there's a contradiction. Right? Well, Jesus had that same thing. And so the author of Hebrews would come and say, Consider Jesus, who for the joy set before him. What joy? The glory of the Father. Jesus prayed in John 17, Glorify me that it will glorify you. So what did Jesus look unto? What did he, because that word looking... In Hebrew, means in Greek, it means to turn your eyes away from every other thing in the affliction you see and fix your undivided attention on something. So what did Jesus do? What did that look like when my man was on the cross? You know what he fixed his undivided attention on when he was on the cross? The glory that he shared with the Father from the beginning. 
Do you know what he turned his eye away from? The death of the cross. What that means is he didn't twist and consider and meditate on the darkness. Right? And it wasn't presented to him like a principle, and now he worked it. So don't misunderstand the declaration of the truth was something you're going to now work, right? But we preach about the resurrection of the dead so you could see there's a life greater than death. And so that what can happen is, is that will do something in you where you turn away from setting your eyes on the death because you see there's something greater than the death. And what happens is, is because you see there's something greater than the death, your undivided attention becomes captivated with the glory that's in the Father. The gl- you know what the glory of the Father is that he shared with the Father from the beginning? His life. That's his glory. His life. That's what it's talking about. You know when you're a little kid and you love a toy and you're playing with a toy and you're playing with a toy and you think that toy's the greatest, but then all of a sudden, one toy that's greater than all the other toys you see out of the corner of your eye. Listen, <laughs> no one has to tell you to turn your eye away from all those other toys. Your undivided attention has now become fixed on that toy over there, right? <laughs> and you're like... You've forsaken everything else and you're over there. That's the dynamic we're talking about. We're explaining what happened in Jesus so you could see the faith that's in Jesus. Because as you behold the faith that's in Jesus, it will be born in you. right? As you behold the faith that's in Jesus, your heart will start to be persuaded that there's something greater than the affliction I see around me. There's something greater than the death that's come upon me. There's something that can even overcome death in the flesh. There's something that can even make dry bones live. There's something that can even bring forth a human being out of the dust of the ground. There's something that can even breathe life into a dust man and make that dust man live. There's something that can even bring forth order out of the midst of chaos. Wow! And that's what Jesus' mind was considering when the death of the cross came against him. And he had a contradiction that came against him. He looked unto the glory that he shared with the Father from the beginning, which is the life they shared with each other from the beginning. And he began considering what that life brought forth and how that life brought forth everything. And he began considering how that life that he shared with the Father from the beginning can even raise up this mortal body with immortality. It can even raise up this body unto a human flesh that can never taste weakness again. And that's what he began twisting on. A body that can never die. A body that can't be touched by sin. A body that's been purified from death. A body that cannot ever be defiled by spots or blemishes again. A life that can't be kept down. A life that conquers. A life that's going to swallow the death of this cross for all people. These are the things he began considering. Do you see how amped up I keep getting as I go on and on about considering the life that was in the sun? Listen, that's what will happen in you. Yes. Amen. When you're considering Jesus, when you're looking unto, and we all need to be reminded. So it's not like, well, some Christians are better Christians than others, and so they don't need to be reminded. Look how great they are. It's that we were created to need to be reminded. That's part of our design. Why do you think God, if we didn't need to be reminded nonstop, why do you think God wanted to get the Holy Spirit in us? Why didn't he just come and tell us? And, okay, well, we know two plus two now, that's it. Why did he have to get the Holy Spirit in us? We talked about this in the men's Bible study, but the reason why the law was given was to memorialize the work of God. You know how we love memorials? Why do you think we have all these holidays? Why do you think we want to remember everything? Do you notice how we do all these things to remember? Why do you think we take so many pictures? Why do we want to hand down things that our grandmas made, that our mothers made? 
Because we're memorializing things. We want to remember. We want to remember. We don't want to forget. Why do we paint portraits of people? Right? Why do we do those things? It's because we like to remember. And it stirs something up in us as we remember, as we consider, as we think of it. And so when God gave the law, he was memorializing the work that he would do to cleanse man from death and to serve them with an incorruptible life. It was never about performing these works. All those works were painting a picture of the work God would do to deliver us from sin. All those works were painting a picture of the life God has in himself and how even the death that came into this world cannot overcome his life and that he will provide himself as the lamb so that he can remove death from the earth. The law memorialized all those things. And the carnal mind looked at the law and said, oh, we've got to work those things. It was never about working the things. It was about God setting before our eyes every day the faith that would later come in the Lord Jesus. So that we could all the time be considering the faith that would come in the Lord Jesus. Well, glory to God. Listen, that never worked because it was external. And so what God did to memorialize his life and the glory that he shared with the Son and the Spirit from the beginning is he poured out of himself his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. You know what that Holy Spirit is all the time trying to do? Remind each and every one of us of the life that the Father and the Son and the Spirit shared from the beginning. The life we saw manifested in the resurrection of the man Jesus. The life that we have dwelling in us now. The glory that is in us now. The glory that makes all things that are crooked straight. The life that can't be overcome. That overcomes all things. The Holy Spirit is in us to memorialize that life every day. Yes. And so it's not like, oh, I should have remembered. No, you can't. You have to be reminded. You have to be reminded. And we would feel much better about ourselves as if we, when we felt sorrowful, if we just thought, I just need to be reminded. Exactly. It's not some heavy deal. Listen, I know for myself, I don't know if you guys realize it, but I feel things. Like everything I experience, I experience it in a deep way. There is no, eh, I don't know what, I'm, there is no indifference for Greg. Right? Everything is like, and so there's times where man I find myself feeling overwhelmed and overcome by afflictions and those afflictions can seem like insurmountable like it's some gigantic thing that's in the way how can I ever get free it just looks like the greatest giant and listen I'm the pain I'm not indifferent to the pain and neither is the Lord. But what I've come to realize is it's actually a very simple thing. I'm considering the afflictions instead of the life that can't be afflicted. Yeah. <laughs> it's that simple. Yeah. And so if I'll just go get off and, and talk with uh, a brother or sister or get off and go listen to Matt or Annette or Maurice or Jay or Thomas preach or Cindy share or Linda share or any of you guys share. If I'll just go off and listen to that, if I'll put on some, we'll, we'll use modern terminology, worship music, right? ones that are preaching the gospel yeah. to you right. listen that's it's really that simple it's not like this gigantic problem that is like this physics problem that nobody can figure out right it's just like no no what am i considering i just need to be reminded i just need to be reminded right you know uh, this is exactly not in these, these words but topically this is exactly what we were discussing on the way over here exactly wow and uh, am I? I just want to get verification. <laughs> <laughs> you got a witness, all right. 
And uh, I, I just went to Alaska last week, and I've been to I've been to at least thirty countries. Alaska may be the most beautiful place I've ever been. Amen. And uh, Lisa and Charlie and I, we went, and we were looking at this this landscape, thinking this is doesn't even seem real. Mm -hmm. The word I used on the way over was unworldly, which kind of fits because it was really like a visual testimony of God, and in that sense, it wasn't of the world, it was unworldly. And I, we were talking about that, I was talking about how you don't have to do anything for to, 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 to have the benefit of beholding this, you just behold it. The colors of the flowers, the, the, the uh, mountains with the ice and snow, the, the, the water, the, even the, the light and the temperature of the place, it was just like, it was, different and it's the same thing with Jesus it's not a work it's not an exercise you don't have to set your clock at 8 in the morning whatever to go get quiet time in your little prayer closet <laughs> it's not like that you just have to behold it and as uh, like <coughs> my son Nick is saying you don't have to understand the truth for it to work in you you don't mm. you don't have to understand it it's just like saying you don't have to understand how these mountains were formed, and how is it that these flowers have bloomed at this time, and, and why is the light the way it is right now? You don't have to understand any of that right. for it to have an effect in you. Yeah. And uh, the, 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 the I can promise you, there's somewhere in, 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 in the United States right now where a preacher's getting up, giving a 10-step list on how you can behold Jesus. You know, and it's just not, obviously we all understand in this room, it's not about that, but just the, I never, I don't consider myself a big nature person in the sense of going out and hunting and fishing and all that guys, but just, just the beauty that is in Jesus will grow a beauty in you. Yeah. And it, 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 it's, it's not, it's effortless. Yeah. It's effortless. You just look at it with your mouth open. It's like, how, <laughs> how can this be? Right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was just looking up, because I wanted to get the name of the road correct. <laughs> On the road to Emmaus, after Jesus rose again, in that expression, and he opened their minds. Mm. It's like, damn, that's what I want. I just want God to open my mind. I'm beholding this. Okay, now, open my mind. Right. And keep it open. Right. And I think that's the function of the Holy Spirit. To open our minds and to keep it open. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what does it take for us to participate in that? Just keep looking. Just keep listening. Shima, shima, is that the expression? Yeah. Yep. Keep talking about it. Yeah. Considering. Yeah. Yeah. Reasoning. It, it, it's, really, it's really a, a wonderful thing. And uh, too bad it gets corrupted by the carnal interpretation of let me go do this, let me go do that. That just kills it. Yeah. It's like saying, uh, let me go do this mountainside. <laughs> yeah. Well, what the hell does that mean? Let me go do eternal life. Yeah, let me yeah. go eternal I'm going to go do eternal life. It's like I was walk, I walk, walked upon two. Two ladies from the church I used to attend, and they were having a little Bible study. Hey, what are y'all studying? Uh, we're, we're studying on how to, uh, what did they say? Uh, 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 how to practice the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> like, practice? Good yeah. luck with that. <laughs> good luck with that. Oh and I just kind of spit on their Bible study and walked away. Verbally <laughs> spit on it. Not, like physically spit on it. It's like I said, that's impossible. You can't do that. You're wasting your time. Did you tell him that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs>
sure they I felt like they were years and on. years ago being a, a new Christian and just walk in trying to understand and everything and something really really bad kept happening to me in my personal life and like the fourth or fifth time I remember just crying my eyes out crying and crying I'm rolling on the floor crying being dramatic being ridiculous and all of a sudden I think the Holy Spirit just went it's okay it's gonna be all right nothing's changed and I was, and, and I, as I was rolling, I was just cracking up. And it's like, and that's what it was. It was like, I just called out and God just showed up. Yeah. And I didn't know anything, you know, but he just showed up and in my despair, you know, and we all have gone through, you know, the silt, you know, the terrible times and all. But anyway. Yeah. Maurice, you still have your thought? Well, uh, I just, this thought crossed my mind as we were talking about it. Things, you know, that uh, about like the abortion issue in the world, you know, and uh, how you know you have a group of people fretting over the lives of all these children that were lost, and you have other people saying, "Well, we need to have abortion. We need to have this right," and you know. And I was thinking about the children. And I gotta tell you something, I fret not over any of these children that were being formed in their mother's wombs by God. Because those children, those innocent children, are perfectly okay. They are absolute they never missed a thing. Those children. Absolutely. They never missed anything. Yeah. And but my fret is for the mothers who <clears throat> believed that that child being born would be death to them. Yeah. In other words, like, if this child is born, it's not going to be a good thing for me. Yeah. That is the only reason a mother would take the life of the, of the child in her womb. Yeah. So they behold that death, and, and it causes them to do something that is, is not a, a good thing to do. It's not born okay. from above. Not born from above. But, you know, it's kind of interesting, as I was considering that, I was thinking about how there was a child that was born into this world that gave his life for us. And could you imagine just some woman or many women somewhere down the line considering the child that gave his life for them and how the giving of the life of this child, for unto us a, a, a child is born, unto us a son is given, meant life from the dead for all of us. Mm -hmm. And they, they say that, that what they did to, to their child in their womb actually speaks to their heart about the eternal life that God came to give us. Yeah. It's, po it's possible to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I find both sides of the abortion argument are reasoning from the death in the world. Yeah. Even what's quote-unquote the Christian side of the abortion sure. argument. Absolutely. Because they're reasoning about the, the abortion as if it's greater than eternal life. Right. Right? As if life and death is found in whether or not they're aborted or not. Right? And we don't grieve like the world. So when I look at the abortion 
uh, dynamic, I can see that abortion is not born from God. It grieves my heart that death would come against that baby in the womb. Because that's what it is. It's death coming against that baby in the womb, just like death comes against all of us. But I'm not going to now live in my heart as if that death that came against that baby can now rob that baby of God. Which is the only thing that matters for somebody to inherit. I'm not now going to look at that abortion as if that death could steal something from them. Because God is greater than that death that came against that baby in that womb. That's not how I'm going to live. Right? So I'm not going to let that abortion be lifted up in my eyes. I'm going to see that God did something to conquer that abortion already. That God did something to take vengeance on that death that come against that baby in that womb. And I'm not going to now live as if the death that came against that baby in the womb can now overcome that baby. Because that death cannot overcome God. And I know for a fact that God is able to reach babies in the womb and reveal himself to those babies and join himself to those babies. And those babies are going to step up out of the grave. And those babies are going to live eternally. Right? And that's how I'm going to live. So I'm going to grieve seeing that this is not born from God. It's not right. Just like I would grieve about someone being nailed to a tree or someone suffering a death or someone passing away or any horrible thing that could happen to anybody. I'm going to grieve, but I'm not going to grieve like the world where the world would have the death exalted in their eyes. And how great is this death that came against them? And look how this death robbed. And look how this death stole. But I thought him who stole and robbed could steal and rob no more. And so I'm going to look at it knowing this death isn't right. This death isn't from God. It's unjust what's happened to these babies in the womb. But I'm going to see that God has served those babies with justice. And the justice that he served them with by conquering death and the resurrection is what is going to dwell in my heart. That's what's going to lead me, right? That's how you want to look at it. That's how you can grieve over something that isn't born from life, but not find yourself coming on under the power of the death. Right? Which is the problem in most of the church, is they've come under the power of death in the area of abortion. Right? Right? Instead of coming under the power of a life that has overcome death. Right? And that doesn't mean that you don't minister. Right? But the church would be much more effective in that area if, to Maurice's point, if they spent their time ministering eternal life to the mothers. And they spent their time ministering abundance to the mothers. And spent their time doing that. Right? It's just like David, like David mourning for his son while he was alive. Yeah. But when he died, he washed his face and went and worshiped God. And he says, he cannot come to me, but I will go to him. That's right. right. He, he, he thought about it in the eyes of eternal life. Cindy. That's right. They, those babies bypassed the life in the world that's filled with corruption yeah. and went straight to the Father's arms living a life that was free of evil, corruption, sorrow, pain. And one other thing I was thinking of earlier when you were saying everything that Jesus considered on the cross, I think he also was dwelling on the fact that he knew he could trust his Father and that his Father would never forsake him. I think as believers we have to remember too that, I mean, one, the way that we live and things that we say about the abortion thing is that we're no different if we partake in that because we're categorizing death and so it's like if i get in the car right now after having a drink at a crawfish boil how am i any different from that mother that made that choice we can't categorize it because we believe it was at their hand because it's at our hand too and so it's like i don't partake in any of the 
that stuff because I'm no different from any mother that's in that position. Yeah. You know, in every day of my life. Yeah. We just categorize it differently. The judgments of those. The judgments, yeah. yes, yeah. is what I mean right. by that. Yeah, the judgments. And, and, and many times the church picks up the sword of the world to fight mm-hmm. the world. And like yeah. Peter, yeah. right? Not the sword of the Spirit. We and it's fine for the church to, to declare that abortion isn't born from God. Yes. Right? But they ought to wield the sword of the Spirit. Instead of come with the sword that the world would come with, mm-hmm. right? Like Peter thinking, we got to preserve life. Jesus is our hope for life. And so now we're going to take up the world sword and we're going to whack these guards that are coming to take away our life, right? And G- what did Jesus do? He who lives by the sword will die by the sword, right? And he, and picked, he healed the guy's ear. Right, he picked up the ear and put it back on the guy, right? I hope that makes sense. Yeah. You guys under, understand what we're talking about? Yeah. With the, the abortion yes. dynamic? Yeah. Of course it's a grievous thing. Death is grievous. Yeah. It isn't right. It's unjust. It isn't come from God. It comes from below. We all agree with that. We all know that. We shed tears knowing that death isn't right. But now we see, did God conquer death or not? Yes. Well, did he not conquer the death of those little babies? Yes. Or did he only conquer our death? Can eternal life be snatched from them? Right? So Jesus might say, you have heard it said that these babies who are aborted have had their life stolen from them. But I say that those babies, though they died, shall live forevermore. That's right. Though they fallen asleep, they aren't dead. Right? And they live in me forevermore. And then you come from a place of abundance instead of lack. Right? You come from a place of eternal life instead of death. Right? We don't want to build the foundation of our thinking on death. Right. We want the foundation of our thinking, even should it be about death, built upon an incorruptible life. Amen. The word of an incorruptible life. Do you, you see that? And it's really easy to do it the other way. It really is. Because you feel that grief. The, the moment you feel grief over affliction, your heart becomes like, oh, you know. Glory to God. Yeah. Y'all are awesome. Glory to God.